Welcome to the Literacy Lunch Break. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Amanda Hager, and she shares her real-life story of leveraging district materials with her small group instruction. Discover how she effectively integrates these resources to enhance the learning and support reading intervention. Thank you for coming back, Amanda. No, thank you for having me. All right. So you shared, I think, some really important tips and just experience in our last episode. It was more just that general shift of how did you start to think about structured literacy and really what sparked your interest? We talked a little bit about decodable text, but I think as an educator, you know, and you shared, you know, those little pieces, those little nuggets of information can be really helpful. So today we really wanted to dig in a little bit more to see what does that look like when you are teaching your small group instruction. Um, so if you want to maybe just share a little bit more about how you tailor your tailor your instruction to meet the specific needs of your individual yeah. students? Um, well, so I think, as, like I said in the last episode, right, we have that benchmarking assessment. I think most districts now do three times a year to kind of see, you know, as a system where, where the kids are. Um, and then when they get to me, right, it's, you know, we're below the 25th, right? These are our kids that just, you know, should be, it's like a catch and release, right? They should be, you know, picked up, given those skills that they need and released back. Um, and so, you know, it's like, this is when like those little formative assessments are so good, right? Because then it's like, you get a student, right? You're like, well, the student's below the 25th percentile. They struggle with reading. Well, <laughs> so what am I supposed to do, right? Like, and I think I said in the past, right, we would have looked at their letter and thrown them in, you know, some kind of system that way. Um, and, and there's so many, like, there's so many little mini assessments out there. I really like the core assessment because you can then just, it's like, it's like 20 words. It's not like we're assessing these kids to death, right? It's like a 20 word list and you can see where it is that they're falling out. Is it, you know, long vowels? Is it, you know, silent E? Can they blend, you know, do the blends? Um, and from there then, any, you can find any kind of like, you know, structured literacy continuum. Some people like to do the glued sounds after silent E or before it. I don't think it matters. Right. In my opinion. No, right? it, 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 that's actually, yes, you're correct. There is no yeah. like approved scope and sequence, right? Exactly. We just need to make sure we're following a logical scope it, and sequence. And it's, there is no, this is better than that, but it is important yes. to follow a sequence. Absolutely. I do, I do kind of chuckle on those, like the social media threads when, I mean, people go to the mats over this. Some people are very <laughs> convinced that you cannot teach a glued sound until, well, but you know, so find yourself like a really good sequence of skills, right? That makes sense. Um, and you can kind of see where they, where they fall out. And then that's where you kind of gear your instruction. Um, and after, I mean, and keep in mind, this is, I'm five years into this journey. I really feel like you could come into my room and you could say, we're going to take away every curriculum resource that you have. And I would say, fine, give me a whiteboard, some counters, some letter cards. I can write a decodable text if I had to. Um, but this is right. Also, I've been on this journey for, for right. quite some time. Um, Right. And then once you know what your kids need, then we can fill in those gaps. Right. Like yeah. it, it shouldn't take such a long time. We need to right. get them. There's a sense of urgency, especially not so much in K and one, but 
But if you're a third grader and we're still struggling with those phonics skills, we need to figure out where you're at. I need to know what skills that you have. I need to know where you mm -hmm. need to go and we need to hit the ground running so I yes. can get you back. And so what I'm hearing you say is like a first step is really meaningful assessment, right? We definitely yes. have our universal screeners because as you, you said, we, we don't want to overassess students, right? Right. So that universal screener is kind of like you're, you know, you're, you're just, almost like, you know, your dipstick, or if you think about like a car, yes. if, you're, if your check engine light goes on, there could be a million things that are happening. You don't yet know, but if your check engine light's not on, you're not going to the mechanic and trying to figure out what it is. And it's the same for our students, right? We're giving those universal right. screeners. If there's something that's popping up, or if we're noticing in their reading and their writing, like you said, there's in fourth grade, we're maybe not assessing phonemic awareness, but I'm noticing yes. my student spelling or as they're reading, there's something going on. I do, that is a check engine light then that's popping up. And now I want to dig yes. a little bit deeper to inform my yeah. instruction. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's step one I'm hearing you say. And then step two is yes. kind of, okay, now that I know this, what's my what's my sequence? What, what am I, where am I at? And what am I specifically right. teaching? And kind of going back to the last episode where it was like, what is the advice? And this is where like, I feel like as a teacher, you really need to familiarize yourself with like the whys of the English language, right? So again, like I said, I was 41 by the time I realized there was a reason for why CK comes after a short vowel and a one syllable mm -hmm. word, right? That was something that I didn't know. But now that I do know, like I can teach that. And so I feel like once we know what our kids need, we really need to familiarize ourselves with, but what does that, what are the rules and why do we teach it this way? Not just teaching them the words just blindly, but we need to, kids like to know the why. And then they like to find those exceptions too, right? right. Like I like, think you used have, right? Well, why doesn't it make, why doesn't it say have in this word? They mm -hmm. like to find those and then you, it's, kind of fun to then give the reason why, because 99% of the time we know there's a reason why. Um, and so once you kind of have that information, you familiarize yourselves with uh, yourself with what, you know, how I'm going to teach that, right? Then we, we teach that phonics skill, we give them the practice, and then we match that to, you know, some decodable text so that they can have actual, you know, hands-on, practice with it in meaningful sentences. They might not be the most meaningful sentences in the world, but they need to practice it in, in a context. So as you think about your small group instruction, do you start, um, you know, for students, and again, we're really talking about foundational skills here, yes. right? Like yes. there's, there's that, if we think about the reading rope, right, we have those foundational skills and then we have the students that maybe need more support with comprehension, or perhaps we have students that need support with both. But as we think about our foundational skills, do you begin your small group instruction with phonemic awareness and then move into yes. phonics? And then how, how does that look? Yeah. So again, because we talked in the last episode how like, you know, not knowing that phonemic awareness is so important, right? That tends to be the piece that we leave out, right? And so I always start with the phonemic awareness because before we even start talking about, you know, I'll use glued sounds, for example, right? Like before we start talking about ing and ang and ong, right? And the sounds that they make, like we need to hear them first, right? So like song, you know, what's, you know, what's the word, right? So we need to 
that, and that phoneme awareness piece like really kind of primes their brain, right? Because we're blending, we're segmenting, we're doing all these things with whatever the focus sound is that we're doing that day. And now we're going to put the print with it. So, right, we were just segmenting these and we were just putting these together. You know what? In these words, you know, O-N-G, right? It's going to make the ong sound. And we can talk about how those sounds glue together, right? Um, and then go into the decodable text. So it really does. And even on a day like, so, you know, we know life happens, right? And so like some, there's a fire drill in the middle of my lesson or, you know, if you've heard me talk, you know, I can probably get off task real easy. We didn't get <laughs> through our whole lesson today, right? So like maybe we stopped right before the decodable text. So that's where I'm going to pick up tomorrow. Even on that kind of day, I will still start with a phonemic awareness piece in the beginning because it primes our brain to get us hearing the sounds um, you know, and, and then we'll get started. I feel like that's really such an important piece. And because it is, it's a short piece, I think that tends to be one of the pieces that we, that we leave out. And so, um, yeah, the phonemic awareness pieces is, is really important, but then, yeah, so it's always, we start, we need to be able to hear the sounds, right? We need to be able to say the sounds before we can read the sounds. And so then we'll go into, you know, maybe some words in isolation, some dictation. And then the decodable text is kind of like that, how we wrap it all up at the end. Yes. And so as you're choosing decodable text, I think that's a big challenge, right? I yes. think now we have some more options than we've had in the past. But, but what's that process like as you're as you're looking for really because that decodable text is that application piece and it is it is important. Um, what's that process look like? Yeah, you know, um, and I think we talked a little bit in the last episode, too, about not getting bogged down with how many mm -hmm. words, um, you know, there's there's a lot of different resources out there. Um, I know, you know, MC's got some that you can print off online. Reading A to Z actually has. I mean, there's there's are kind of comical. I mean, if you want to teach kids that decodables are funny, highly suggest <laughs> the Reading A to Z decodable readers. Those can be fun. Um, but there's there's so many out there. Like there's right. so many teachers, amazing teachers that are on this journey that I think have recognized that there's a lack are writing their own and putting them up on. Teachers pay teachers. Right. I've heard. I've heard of teachers. Um, I have not done this yet. Of using AI to write. Yes. Yes. Text. This is a this is a new thing. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's on my never-ending to-do list. But I think that like the biggest piece is like so. I've found these in my book room, or I found these on Teachers Pay Teachers, or I downloaded these offline. You just have to read through them, and is like, is this decodable going to get? Does it have enough words right. that I want my kids to practice? Um, and, you know, and if it does, you know, is this, does it look right? Is it going to be a story that my kids are going to be able to read? Um, are they going to enjoy it? Is it going to make sense? Or is it, you know, especially with ESL kiddos, I mean, catnip, that's not, we don't need to read about catnip if, I mean, we're a language learner. So, or even somebody who doesn't have a cat. So, um, you just got to read them and familiarize yourself with them. One of the tips that I like to do, too, is that when I find good decodables, is that um, you can create an easy like a Google or a Google sheet, right? Take all of like so if we're practicing like the short O, I can go through the decodable, take out all the short O words that are in that book, put them into a table, and there's our blending lines and there's our practice before, and now we're going to read them in the text. So I've had multiple exposures to the words, right. so then I can kind of focus a little bit more on like the the weird things that might be happening in a decodable text or the story, why do you think that the 
man was mad that his pig was in the pit. I mean, because now the pig has mud and he has to take a bath, you know. Right. I mean, so it's like if they've had those exposures, then you can focus a little bit more on the comprehension. Comprehension. Right. So I, mean. I hear you kind of saying, so you start with phonemic awareness is like this oral and auditory warm up. Then you're explicitly yes. teaching a phonics pattern. And then you're giving them first the opportunity to practice decoding some words, just single words, right? You're not yes. jumping right into that decodable text. You're right. kind of giving them a warm up with blending lines, getting. And I, I think that's important because, again, as we talk about the importance of decodable text, what does that exactly look like as we think about our instruction? And what you're you're doing when you allow for those blending lines first is, as you said, you're you're giving them that exposure. And what we know about orthographic mapping is yes. it can take, you know, sometimes just one, but sometimes up to eight for typical developing readers to really map that in their brain, right? So they have the opportunity to say, mm, app, map multiple times and that's how we do start to unitize those sounds and it yes. does start to become very automatic for us so i think you know that's a really important piece of our instruction is yes we want to use decodable text but we also want to give students the opportunity yes. to decode it and as you said maybe meet some words that aren't following that short a pattern that we're teaching yeah well and i think it's important too like it's I, you know, to be, again, honest with, like, the kids and, like, why. I mean, I, especially when you've got older kids and I'm giving you this list of words. Like, we just need to be honest and say things like that. Your brain needs to see this several times in order for it to be mapped into your brain. And mm -hmm. that's why, I, as I think that's another big one, is that, like, a lot of times my students, because in this may be another episode, but... Um, like just the multi-sensory piece that goes along with reading. And so when I'm asking the kids to spell words really big with their hand in the air, especially older kids are like, oh my gosh, like what? why? They don't right. want to, and they've got floppy arms. But then when you really like, I'm going to show you a picture of your brain and how when we do these, like these things are getting mapped into your brain. And that's the whole purpose of this, right? right? And you give them the why that mm -hmm. they're doing these things. And I think that goes a long way with kids, especially our older kids, when they're in these very remedial skills. Because, um, listen, bud, like, I want you to be here, and then I want you to go back, right? right. I... Yeah, and I think that that really does kind of move into the next question, right? Is, I want you to be here, but I don't want you to live here, right? And we talked yeah. a little bit about that in the yeah. last episode. Like, intervention shouldn't be a life sentence. It's yeah. not where you live. And so as you think about, you know, decodable text are a valuable resource. We know the importance of using decodable text to crack the code for that initial decoding instruction. But we shouldn't live in decodable text right. either. So, you know, do you find yourself with the students that you're working with, does it tend to be more just of those foundational skills? Or have you, you know, had experience of saying, okay, now we can start to pull back on this decodability. We're going to start shifting and maybe our focus becomes something else. Yeah, you know, so I think that would be probably... More like, so being an interventionist, right, I have them for this very short period of time. So I do try to really keep my lessons very, very focused. Um, but I do have, I mean, like a regular classroom library, like every other teacher does, right? Because it's like decodables aren't the only thing that we read, right? So it's like, you know, we're reading the decodables, we're doing that practice. 
But then, you know, when you practice those words, you're going to see those words in other places, right? And then you have that, right, that self-teaching piece where then it's like, if I, even if they're not, if there's a skill that, like, I haven't taught them yet, it's just the simple act of, like, how we blend words together. Right. That goes a long way because then these kids are able to, if I know how these words blend together... I'm going to try that with this like longer word. I'm going to try this with this blend. And I know that what it is not a word, but like, so that TH, maybe it doesn't say, right. Maybe there's a different, but I do know the word with, right. Maybe that's the word with. So I do think just these acts, these reading practices that we teach them can carry on into, into other ways. Um, but I do, I, you know, it's as we move in this journey, I do have groups now that in like the intermediate that we are working on more comprehension stuff, which is super fun because they have cracked the code. And so now we're going to do, you know, we're going to really focus more on meaning than we are because that's where, that's where you are now. And, you know, a little aside, I mean, some fifth graders that I had last year, I've gotten emails from a couple and they're like, middle school is really hard, but I know that I can do it. And I do think a lot of that is, you know, before they left us, we did everything we could to try to get them those skills. Right. Yeah, no. And I think that's really important, right? Because again, decodable text is so critical, but it's also so important for us to remember, you know, when we read a book, you know, our language is a morphophonemic language. So sometimes it's going to be because, you know, I can sound out that word. And then sometimes I'm going to have to try to bring some other knowledge to that text. Or like you said, strategies. Am I blending? Am I, you know, flexing a vowel? Am I trying it the other way? Um, and is this a word that is familiar to me? Is this a word that I know? And so I love that you were able to maybe start with decoding and cracking the code for some learners and they've got, and again, that's just the evidence of we don't live here and now we're moving on. And maybe you still need some support with that comprehension piece and maybe you don't, and maybe you're off and you're reading books, but you know, the use, I think sometimes that's the rap that the bad rap that decodable text gets as well. It's if I'm using decodable text in my instruction, my small group instruction, that does not mean I'm never giving any other type of text to students. We're not holding them back. We're trying to give them the skills that they need. And I think that's when it's important. Like I think we said in the last episode where they need to understand the purpose of the different books in the book box. Mm -hmm. And so like the decodables, they have a take home folder that they take from me like one of those little zippy bags and I change the, the book should always be changing, right? Like you shouldn't always have the same decodables. And so they do like, you know what? We've mastered these. We're going to take these out and throw them out because like, you don't need to keep practicing and we're going to put these new ones in, but this is your practice. And then, you know, these other books, please don't read decodable books all day. Please read yes. <laughs> books for enjoyment. Please have fun. I mean, it's, I think that's like part of this whole, like, current reading wars that we're in, it's like one or the other. And it's like, it's not. I mean, right. we we teach kids to read. We teach kids to love books too. I mean, right. it's not. It's not one or not, the other. It's not one or the other. You can have both and you should have both. I don't want to see a kindergartner with only decodable books right. in their box. I mean, I want them to be looking through Elephant and Piggy and Pigeon and all the books that we love, you know, right. when we're in kindergarten. And so would you say if we... Words. If, if you had the one takeaway for this this episode, would it be that, you know, decodable books 
like they have their place in instruction yes. when you're working with a teacher to crack the code, but it's it's not the only type of books yes. we're giving students access yes. to. And I think like that would be my piece of advice is just be clear with the kids on what the purpose are of the different books that they have in their book box. But I think it's um, we can't not we can't avoid decodable books because we think that they're going to be boring or useless or they have pointless stories because. Right. I mean, write your own then. I mean, take a book and, like, <laughs> you know, there's so many things that you can do, but they have to have that very focused practice with those skills that you're teaching. Otherwise, they're not going to retain it. So, yes. Well, Amanda, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your experience, your journey, and your, you know, the, the structure of your, your groups and classroom with us and all of your tips. Thank you so much you. for joining us. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our upcoming episodes where we explore literacy topics in a snack-sized, easily digestible format.